You are listening to a Bible-based message from River Rock Church in Belle Plaine, Minnesota. Go to riverrockchurch.com for more information and resources. Now here's today's encouraging message from Pastor Chris Tyen. We are going to talk about hope, a new series on hope. So discovering hope in this new season. Now, I know that summer is not over, according to the calendar, because it doesn't really end until the 21st, so that still gives you like almost three weeks to enjoy summer, right? But the summer schedule, uh, you know, what we call summer in Minnesota, kind of is coming to an end. So people are either excited about that, people are um, sad about that, it just depends who you are and what you're into. So there's some people that are really into like boating and stuff, and they're like, oh, it's so sad, it's almost over. And there's people that hate bugs and hate humidity, and they're like, I am so glad that this season is almost over, because my favorite season is, you just shout out, what's your favorite season? I can't hear you. Yes, yes, I ban you from praying for snow. Do you realize that last year was the first, or actually this spring was the first time we ever canceled church because of snow, and we only did it because everybody else did, and we felt the peer pressure, so, and they didn't open the school, but anyway. So everybody likes different seasons, different things like that. When you think about seasons, there are seasons of our lives. There are seasons that we enjoy or don't enjoy with the weather. Uh, Sometimes the hope that we have is that if you don't like the season that you're in now, that it could get better, or it might get worse for a while, but it could get better after that. So some people go through seasons, and it's really a stressful season. So you like farmers, springtime, it's like I got to plant, I got to get my seed in, I hope it doesn't rain, hope it's not too cold, I hope the seed grows. Stressful in the spring. Summertime comes, we're like, things are growing. It's pretty good. I think I'll go on a long, long fishing trip or something. Fall comes, got to get the harvest in. Sure hope it's profitable. Sure hope I can find someone to buy it. I sure hope it's dry enough. And then winter comes. And they're like, suppose I should clean up my tools and order some seed and plan for the next year. And so they work in these seasons. I thought it was really interesting in Isaiah when I was going through my devotionals devotions that uh, there's a passage in Isaiah that said God gave the farmers the knowledge they need on how to how to grow stuff and how to process seed and stuff like that it's pretty cool so hope for this new season as you know I just turned 50 and so I think I'm fine with it but I have this thing in my mind and maybe if you're at that age you probably hate me that I keep saying this you know the Bible says in uh, Psalm I think it's 90 verse 10 70 years are given to us, some even live to 80, but even the best years are filled with pain and trouble. Soon they disappear and we all fly away. So in my mind, I think to myself, okay, I get uh, 70 years really, so I'm going to, I'm doing that. I'm I'm planning out, you know, I'm going to make a difference in the world for 70 years. And if I live longer than that, this bonus round, that's great. But my fear is, I never knew there was pastoral age discrimination, but I guess there is. I guess it's a thing now that every church wants to have some young guy with a young family that's like 29 years old with 30 years of experience or something like that. I don't know what happens as you get older. I guess if you don't act old, maybe it's okay. But I found this chart online, and it was telling about life expectancy, and you can't really see it very well. I uh, took a screenshot of it, and I thought that you could see it, but I don't really think you can. But what I thought was very interesting is that as far as states where you live the longest, so this is for a white male, which I am, but there is a choice, you know, you can do different, different races, different, you know, female, male, everybody. But here it says that uh, number three out of all the states for living the longest, for a white male, uh, is Minnesota. 78.83 is the average age. If you want to live much 
less, then you should move to West Virginia or Mississippi, I guess. I don't really know why. And then it lists the reasons that people die. So heart disease, cancer, accidents, lung disease, stroke, Alzheimer's, diabetes, influenza, pneumonia, suicide, kidney problems, liver disease, blood poisoning, hypertension, Parkinson's, homicide. Anyway, so some stats on that. So it kind of proves what the Bible says, right? 80, 70, 80 years. But there is hope that I will live to be that long. So, I mean, I could die tomorrow. I could get sick. Something could happen. I could fall, hit my head, I become a vegetable. Uh, you know, there's all these things. But my hope isn't in medical doctors because they practice medicine. They don't necessarily, you know, they haven't perfected medicine. They seem to have done, sometimes things are better, but, you know, my hope isn't in that. My hope is not in a political leader. My hope is not in the president as the savior of the church or the world, whether he or she, you know, has great principles or not. My hope is in Jesus, and my hope is that God has my life under his control and that he's working out his plan, and I totally don't understand it. I don't understand when people make choices that affect me in bad, sad ways or whatever, you know, how that's really God's perfect plan. I don't totally get what God's up to, but I do know that God's working out a plan, and I do know there's seasons of life. On the back of your bulletin, if uh, you were listening to Christian music long ago, like I was, you might remember the DC Talk song, Things of This World. And this always sticks in my mind as the whole 70 years of life thing. It was in that song in 1990. 70 years is all we got to accumulate goods that seem to mean a lot. For the first 20 years, you're off to school, learning principles and learning the tools. To make lots of money, the ultimate goal, gain the whole world and yet lose your soul. Humanism is on a roll. 20 gets the knowledge, 30 years to apply, and just 20 years left for asking why. So, and you can read the rest of it on the back of your bulletin. Hope. Hope in this life. If you don't have hope in this life, then it's real hard to go from day to day. You've got to wake up in the morning and have hope that there is a reason for your existence. Hope that God is at work and that he is going to provide and that he is going to help and the latest virus isn't going to kill you and the latest scandal isn't going to destroy you and the latest layoffs aren't going to leave you jobless and homeless and all those other things we fear. But hope is something that we all need. Research shows that people without hope are more likely to commit suicide. People without hope are more likely to devalue life and to be self-destructive and to do things that don't benefit them or, or others when there is no hope. So number, number one, understand the difference between faith and hope. Understand the difference between faith and hope. Hope is a trustful expectation, particularly with reference to the fulfillment of God's promises. Biblical hope is the anticipation of the favorable outcome under God's guidance. More specifically, hope is the confidence that what God has done for us in the past guarantees our participation in what God will do for the future. So that's in the Holman Bible Dictionary. It, this contrasts to the world's definition of hope as a feeling of, of what is wanted will happen. Uh, understood in this way, hope can denote either a baseless optimism or a vague yearning after an unattainable good. If hope is to be genuine, hope, however, must be founded on something or someone which affords reasonable grounds for confidence in its fulfillment. The Bible bases its hope in God and his saving acts. So hope, according to Bill Mounts, the Bible scholar, uh, is a verb. Uh, hope can desire be a desire or a wish, but more often in the Bible, uh, New Testament writers quote Old Testament passages about hoping in the Lord, which essentially means trusting in the Lord, According to Paul, we should never put our hope or trust in wealth. 
The most important sense of this verb is the firm conviction that because of Jesus' resurrection from the dead, we can have confidence as we face the future. And then he says, hope as a noun, again, can be uh, a desire or wish, but more often in the Bible, it is a nuance of the confident expectation or solid assurance. So Christian hope is a hope that will never disappoint, Romans 5.5 says. Hope is directed toward the future. Once we have received what we have hoped for, hope ceases. Thus, the ultimate focus of Christian hope, according to the New Testament, is the return of Jesus Christ, the resurrection from the dead, God's ultimate salvation of his people, and the result of eternal life in a restored creation. At that point, we will live in eternal glory, centered in Jesus Christ himself, the hope of glory. So our hope is strengthened by Scripture. And as Christians, we're supposed to share hope with people. I mean, people need hope. And we have hope in Christ, hope in eternal life, hope in what the Bible says is true. It's not just a hope I wish, a hope I hope that comes true, but it is I'm standing upon this eternal hope, this confident assurance that what God says is true and I trust it. June Hunt writes a lot of biblical counseling stuff. She has a uh, radio program and what she does is she takes all of this research and I think her team, what they do, uh, is bring all this research together and uh, kick it back out in counseling manuals and things like that. So she has this thing that compares hope, the difference between faith and hope. So she writes, hope is an assured promise, whereas faith is acting out that promise. Faith is hope put into action. Since the picture is worth a thousand words, picture in your mind a ship anchored in the water. And she says, the water represents a sea of people floating through life. The ship in the water represents you, as a believer, safe on board. The anchor in the water represents the guaranteed hope that Christ will hold you secure to keep you from drifting dangerously off course. The road is the strong chain where one end is connected to the ship and the other to the anchor. The road represents an action, acting in faith that Christ will hold you secure. The act of anchoring, dropping the anchor and chain into the water, is based on the guaranteed hope that the anchor will hold. She says, having hope that we can be secure is necessary in order to be held secure. So our hope is based in Christ. Our hope in Christ came when we heard the gospel message and we received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. When we asked Christ to come into our life and to save us, we repented of our sin and we started to live a new life in Christ. We received the Holy Spirit. We were born again. We were assured heaven and we were, we were in this process of becoming more and more like Jesus. So we act on our hope. When we give to the church to support the church and we trust that God's going to bless us financially and help us to have enough to live on because we just gave some of it away, that is acting in faith on the hope that we have in Christ. When we spend our lives, when we give up a certain career or we you know, do things that the world thinks is crazy to put God first in our lives and we prioritize Him, we are acting on our hope in Christ and our faith, in those act, our, our faith is shown by doing those actions, by working out those actions. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please God. And 1 Peter 1.21 says, Your faith and hope are in God. So the anchor of hope and the road of faith can be seen as one. In boating, the road is so securely connected to the ship and to the anchor that it can be considered one with them. This is the case in the Christian's relationship with Jesus Christ, our hope, our anchor. We have become one with him so that our faith and our hope are entwined like a braided rope, separate yet working as one, tethering us to our Lord. So we go through life with hope 
and our hope is shown by the faith that we have. And some people take great risks and do great things to move out in faith. The uh, uh, New Prague Alliance Church over there, uh, their pastor has recently gone off to, and his wife have gone to be missionaries in a faraway country to reach immigrants. So there's many people that we have brought to you that have spoken here before, that have given up career in life to show their faith in Christ by answering God's call for them to be missionaries in faraway lands or to serve in different capacities in the church and to ministries around. And that doesn't mean that you should all be called to that. God doesn't call you all to that, actually. The most effective missionaries sometimes are the people that are placed in the workplace that are able to minister to the people around them. So you have a great opportunity in your school or your workplace or your neighborhood to be a missionary for God. You don't even have to go to a third world country. You don't have to even learn a different language. You can use your skill and your place, pray for opportunities, share your hope in Christ and act in faith, and share with others. It's scary to share with others, but the Holy Spirit can empower you and even give you words to say, and there's great resources to help you get trained up in that. So when we come to seasons and we think about seasons and hope and things like that, I think the best thing that you can do is take some time and strategize what you're going to do. Now you look at the calendar and you think, okay, you got all these seasons coming up, some things I love, some things I hate. To tell you the truth, the time I like about Christmas the most is when all that present stuff is over. So when everybody's exchanged gifts or gotten that out of the way and then you're sitting there at Christmas time and all that's behind you, and you got nothing left to do but sit around and enjoy each other's company, maybe eat some food or whatever. I like that part way more than the stress, which isn't even fair for me to say because I've delegated that all to my wife. I don't really think I buy anything for anybody for Christmas. My wife does it all. But still, I just don't like that part. It's stressful to me. I'm always afraid that someone's going to be disappointed, which is why I buy gift cards and have them in my wallet just in case someone comes along and they're like, oh, I got you this. Oh, yeah, well... I got you this gift card, card. I'll be in the back room. Got my cards. So, and if I don't use them, I just put them in my gas tank. So, I don't. I shouldn't share that around Christmas time though, because then you'll remember it. You get a gift card, and you go, "You are so cheap." Planning for seasons though, strategizing for seasons. So Ecclesiastes, Solomon, God gave him wisdom, right? He experienced a lot, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, he wrote the book of. Ecclesiastes, and in some translations he's called the preacher or the teacher, and he writes this about time. And when you think about when he writes these things about time, think of it not as, you know, just a comparison between one and the other, but like an entire span on that subject. So Ecclesiastes 3, verse 1, for everything there is a season, a time for every activity under the sun. And the Bible makes it clear that God created the earth with seasons, with us in mind. We go through this life and nothing ever stays the same. I mean, our age doesn't stay the same. The weather doesn't stay the same. Nothing stays the same. The stuff that we build decays. Uh, the stuff that uh, we really enjoy sometimes uh, either falls apart, someone else gets it, or we no longer value it as much as we used to. We get tired of it. But for everything, there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, and that whole span in between. You are totally not in control of when you were born. So you were born into the world, and you didn't plan it, but there you were. And so serve God with all of the time that you have left, because there's a time to die, 
And the Bible makes it clear that God knows when that time is, though it seems like if, we're, if we try to do well with our health, maybe we can extend that time, but maybe not. Some Bible, uh, some theologians have told me that, you know, it might not extend your days, but it might extend the quality of your days. So you might be able to enjoy the time you have if you're healthy, if you do things to be healthy. And then some of those other pessimists say, why are you wasting your time exercising so much, just wearing yourself out? So that's very pessimistic, pessimistic and they lack hope. But a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to harvest. Did you plant? Who planted? Did you plant anything? All right, are you harvesting? I am harvesting weeds I have never seen before. I got vines I've never seen wrapped around the ladder. It's like, I don't know where all these things are coming from, but it's, uh, I've been harvesting a lot of weeds. So a time to kill and a time to heal. Now, um, there is a time to defend, a uh, time for war. What's the next? But there's a time for war, um, a time to heal. Uh, medicine can do a lot to heal. A time to tear down, a time to build up, a time to cry, a time to laugh, a time to grieve, a time to dance, a time to scatter stones, and a time to gather stones. Wouldn't it be great to clear all the rocks and everything off the church land and put up some stones and build a building out there? A time to embrace and a time to turn away, a time to search and a time to quit searching, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend. That's like back to school shopping right there, isn't it? You're looking at those things. Is this a hand-me-down? No, mom. That's a time to tear into rags. Don't mend that. So otherwise, the kid gets their new jeans and they're with, with sandpaper trying to make them look like their knees are ripped out. A time to be quiet and a time to speak, which probably is what I should be doing. A time to love and a time to hate, a time for war, a time for peace. God took all these seasons in mind. And if you read the next verse, the next paragraph in Ecclesiastes, it talks about work. And... Um, Labor Day has come upon us, and we have this opportunity to take a day off work, to be excited about that. For some of us, some of you are still working. Uh, Ecclesiastes 3.13, people should eat and drink and enjoy the fruits of their labor. These are gifts from God. So you can do that if you don't have to work tomorrow. But to live a well life, to be worshiping, encouraging, learning, and loving, to think about all of these things that people are going through. Uh, some people are having babies now. Some people are done having babies and they have adult children and grandchildren. Some people are building their new houses and some people are trying to restore their old houses. Some people are starting their careers and some people are uh, trying to figure out, you know, how to pass their business on or sell their business to someone else. Uh, there are people in all these different areas of life. And you need to think about, okay, so God has me in this life. And I am working in all of these different areas, so where is it that God has me in the season of life, and what can I do to do better? What can I do to live a life that glorifies Him in, in the season that I have, in the, in the place that I'm at, among the people that either um, are experiencing new things that I'm learning from, or maybe they're going through experiences I've already gone through, that I could come alongside them and help them? I mean, what young couple wouldn't love it for an older couple to come alongside and, you know, help watch their kids and give them some advice and encouragement and tell them it's going to be okay and um, all of those things. But strategize living a well life. You should, like, some people plan out their whole life, some people don't. But to come up with some goals, some things that you really want to accomplish, some things that you really want to do to make a difference in the world. There is a researcher that, uh, he's not a Christian, but he came up, and this may be offensive to some of you, his research shows that if you quit spending so much time on social media and watching TV, that you could read 200 books. Now, you've got to find 200 books worth reading. You definitely could read your Bible. But uh, in an article on Quartz, uh, Charles Chu claims, 
and the time you spend on social media each year, you could read 200 books. Here's how the math works out. First, to read 200 books, simply spend 417 hours a year reading. If you're thinking, how can I possibly read for 417 hours? He says that uh, the typical American spends uh, 608 hours on social media and 1,642 hours watching TV. So he says that's 2,250 hours you're spent on trash, he says. If those hours were spent reading instead, you could read over 1,000 books a year. So now he's thinking you're a really fast reader, I guess. Nonetheless, about your time, about your life, what is it, what is it you're doing that you're like, this has no benefit? Now, there are some of you that are in a job where you get a check. So that's your benefit. The thing that you do, maybe you don't feel like you're changing the world. When I worked at the optical industry and it was selling optical, anti-reflective coated optical lenses, my deal was is I was helping the world see better. That was, that was, that was my deal. I'm helping the world see better. God's using me to help the world see better. There was an article in the BBC, this guy, he realized the things in his life that he didn't like to do, you know, suffering digital overload, open offices, constant interruptions. Um, Canadian businessman Andrew Wilkinson came up with a list of things that he wouldn't do, anti-goals. He noticed his day was filled with things he didn't want to do. He was feeling stretched doing business with people he didn't like, with a schedule dictated by others. He recently wrote this in his blog. He adopted a strategy from an investment expert called inversion, which means looking at problems in reverse, focusing on minimizing the negatives instead of maximizing the positives. To put it into practice, Wilkinson came up with his worst possible workday, one filled with long meetings at the office, a packed schedule dealing with people he didn't like or trust. Then he came up with this list of anti-goals, which includes no morning meetings, no more than two hours of scheduled time per day, and no dealings with people he doesn't like. Isn't that awesome? He must work for himself because that's the only way you could control that. But these anti-goals have made his life immeasurably better. Focusing on the negative helps us reflect on and cut out activities that don't align with our broader goals. It's about prioritizing that which is important. So I have a friend who made a commitment that he would not eat breakfast until he spent time in God's Word. So his deal was no Bible, no food. If I'm really hungry, I must be hungry for the Word of God because I will not eat breakfast until I spend time in God's Word. Actually, he will not eat until I spend time in God's Word was his deal. So think about the things that maybe you do that you shouldn't do. And maybe you should write on your list the things that you're not going to do anymore. Maybe you're not going to get up in the morning and first spend time on social media. And then number three, commit to following and trusting God during the challenging seasons of life. And there are so many difficult seasons of life. But David, the psalmist in Psalm 39 says, Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be Remind me that my days are numbered, how fleeting my life is. You have made my life no longer than the width of my hand. My entire lifetime is just a moment to you at best. Each of us is but a breath. We are merely moving shadows, and all of our busy rushing ends in nothing. We heap up wealth, not knowing who will spend it. And so, Lord, where do I put my hope? My only hope is in you. So ask God to show you what the purpose of your life is. Ask God to help you to see how he is working in your life, to see the purpose of your life and how you're to spend it, and in those different seasons of life, what you're to do so that you can do it in a way that glorifies and honors God. And then I'll close with this, and we'll have communion in just a minute. A.W. Tozer wrote in his topical reader, we travel an appointed way. He said, we are not much given to moralizing on natural objects, but who can fail to notice the parallel between God's great lovely world and the little tribes of flesh and blood who inhabit it? Is it not plain that every human being runs through the same stages as the seasons? He 
He says, spring, the time of childhood and youth when all the world is big with promise, a promise which the later years invariably fail to keep. Summer, the period full of power when life multiplies and it is hard to believe that it can never end. Autumn, with its repose after toil, a gracious tapering off of our fuller powers, a kindly preparation for our longer rest. Winter, when the leaves have dropped away and the last sign of life has disappeared, then only faith remains to assure us that there will be for us a bright tomorrow. He says, To the man out of Christ, the fall of the year, in spite of its many charms, must surely bring with it a deep and hidden terror, for it speaks of the approaching end, the time when it may be said, the summer is ended and we are not saved. That's actually in Jeremiah 8.20. It would be good indeed if the autumn winds could preach to the lost soul of the brevity of life and the long winter ahead. And we can do that. We can preach to those people around and share the hope that we have in Christ. Think about where you are in the season of your life. And the great thing is, is that even you know, if you're 85 years old, God could still extend your life even longer. But be busy spending your life glorifying God every moment and asking Him, what's the plan for today? What's the plan for the month? What's the plan for the year? I'll ask the guys to come forward and we'll have time for communion. In the New Believers New Testament, there is a section that talks about first steps, what to do after you have accepted Christ. And that's in your bulletin and in those New Believers New Testaments. But every week I've been trying to show you what's in that New Testament because I want you to share it with others. I've just ordered another case of them. So if you would kindly take some of those with you and be ready to give those to people around, I think it would be great if we could blanket this county and this region with those New Testaments and that many people's lives would be changed. So it is time for communion. And if you are a believer in Christ, you're welcome to take communion with us. So by believing in Christ, we mean that you have come to Jesus uh, repented of your sin, asked him to come into your life and to save you. And that works well by prayer, something like, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and you died on the cross for my sins. Please come into my life and save me and make me the person you created me to be. And if that's foreign or new to you, we would love to share what that means and how that works and uh, everything that's behind that. But um, you can call or get together with me or just ask after church. But Paul writes, I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself on the night when he was betrayed. The Lord Jesus took bread and gave thanks to God for it. He broke it in pieces and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper saying, this cup is a new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes. So as we pass the bread out, it would be great if you would just hold it in your hand and I'll come up and then pray and we'll take it together. But what a great time in prayer in your seat to ask the Holy Spirit if there is any sin in your life that you need to confess. Maybe recommit your life to the Lord. Maybe ask the Lord to show you in this season of life what it is that he wants you to be accomplishing in this season and maybe the next season. Some music will play and I'll come back up in a minute. Jesus, we thank you so much that you've allowed us to live in this time, in this place, and be here in this season of life. And Lord, we pray that you would show us what your perfect will for us is, that we could accomplish your purposes and make an eternal difference in the world and look forward to each season and look forward to each opportunity with prayer and preparation and planning and that we would look forward to a great harvest. Jesus, we thank you that you gave your body on the cross and that your plan was is that not only would we be saved, but that we would worship you and enjoy you forever, that we would spend eternity in your presence after we glorify you and show 
our true faith in you by the life that we live here on this earth. So Jesus, we take this and we eat. Jesus wanted us to celebrate communion until he returned. And so churches all around the world celebrate communion. Some the first Sunday of every month, some every week. Luke 22, 19. He, Jesus, took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. And that was 2,000 years ago, but it still applies today. And we have the message of hope. We have God's word digitally printed. We can share it. We have so many resources. God wants to use us in this season of life to make a difference. So now as the music plays and the cups are passed around, hold those until I come back up again. But just praise the Lord for what He's doing in your life and thank Him, praise Him. And uh, again, maybe just ask, is there something that I could be doing more to serve you, Lord? So a simple example of, of hope and faith acted out is, you know, I have an old Chevy Avalanche truck and uh, when the transmission died, I had seen all these other people with the same vehicle, because there's fan sites on Facebook, posting all their mileage, you know, so like I have 190,000 miles now, but all these people are like, I have 250, I have 300, I have 325, I have 400,000 miles. So based upon their testimony, I have hope that the vehicle will keep going, so in faith, I paid for a new transmission and other body parts and everything else to keep it going. The same thing is true in your Christian life that as you share your walk with Christ through the good times and the bad times, people see and people might even ask, do you really believe that? And then you tell them yes and why and you share with them your hope and they see your faith and they say, you know what? If you believe that, then it's probably true. I'm really interested in that. I believe that too. And then they are wanting to become Christ followers and learn about Christ. And they were motivated not because you handed them a New Testament, because you handed them a New Testament and you told them that Christ is part of your life. They saw it in you and you gave them that hope. And then now they're acting in faith. And so they see something, it inspires them, and hopefully it's Christ in you. So Jesus, we thank you that we can be your ambassadors, your ministers of reconciliation, that we can serve you here in this small town. Lord, we pray that you would fill these seats. Lord, we pray you'd make it possible for us to have multiple services so we could meet reach people that have to work. We pray you'd give us a building so we could do more, but Lord, that we'd be faithful with what we have in this season of life, that we would look forward to the opportunities in each season, even the Harvest Festival on October 31st for a community outreach. Um, for all those things, Lord, that you would help us to be wise in the way we act toward outsiders, that you would give us great faith and help us to act on that faith and not to get entangled in sin or busyness so that we could glorify you. We take this, we drink. Thank you, Jesus. All right, the worship team will come up. We will sing. Why don't you stand as we sing our way out this morning. I've shared before, this song is a song that I wrote. I'd been on a walk down the street in my, my neighborhood. There's a lone oak down the road. It was fall. And my sister had brain cancer and was dying. And God told me that she was not going to recover from this, this illness. And he gave me this song as I was walking. The cross is not a loss. It's victory over sin. And he gave me a hope knowing that I would see my sister again someday. And I was surprised when, uh, in talking with her that she considered the gift of cancer 
truly a gift because it brought her closer to God. She didn't fear death, she feared dying alone, and God was gracious in allowing us all to be there uh, when she died. And so let's sing The Cross is Not a Loss, knowing that there's a hope beyond this world. Thanks for listening. It would be great if you would let us know how you were encouraged by this message. We invite you to visit River Rock Church, 10 a.m. Sundays at 330 South Market Street in Belle Plaine, Minnesota. You can connect with us, find more messages to listen to, and get resources to help you grow in your faith at riverrockchurch.com.